Welcome to another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study, a teaching podcast from Faith on Hill Church. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill Church. And while I put 20 minutes on the timer, why don't you open your Bibles to the book of Exodus chapter 35. Well, we are in sort of a necessity is the mother of invention situation. If you are an audio only listener, you won't really notice this, but, uh, for the video, uh, viewers, uh, we're not in the normal setup. Um, our normal recording space, uh, not available for a couple of weeks. So, um, I've set up a little temporary thing in my office and, uh, it'll have to do. So here we are. Exodus chapter 35, Moses assembled the whole Israelite community and said to them, these are the things that Yahweh has commanded you to do for six days. Work is to be done, but on the seventh day, shall be your holy day, a day of Sabbath rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it is to be put to death. Do not light a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. What does God have against fires? Nothing in particular. The fire is the beginning of work, though. Um, You know, if you've got a forge going, if you're you're doing things, the idea was that there was to be total pause and rest. And we've talked quite a bit about the Sabbath uh, previously on this podcast, so I don't want to stay too long here, other than to say that God cares that we take care of ourselves and that we schedule pauses and rest. Do I believe that it's a law we have to follow in our day? No. Do I believe that Sabbath is Sunday? No. If you're going to follow the Sabbath, I agree with my friends in the Seventh-day Adventist community uh, that the Sabbath was not Sunday, it was Saturday, except that in the Jewish way of thinking, Sabbath did not start Saturday morning. It started sundown Friday until sundown Saturday, because that is a Jewish day. So to my friends in the SDA community, I would say, if you aren't starting Friday night at sundown, um, then you're not doing it right. (laughs) That being said, I don't think a day matters. Uh, Uh, Paul talks about this in Romans that, uh, you know, for one person, you know, there's a sacred day and for another, it's a different day and for another, no day is sacred. And, And he's saying that we are not under the law. We are under the grace of the new covenant. Uh, elsewhere in the scriptures in Hebrews, it says that Jesus is our Sabbath day's rest. So, I don't believe we are bound to any kind of day specifically. The Dalhannock family does try to take a day of rest. Uh, Generally speaking, it's Fridays. 2 p.m. Friday when Angie and the boys get out of school, uh, I try to reserve that as sacred time. Uh, We call it fun Fridays. You know, Sabbath isn't a bummer. It's fun Fridays. Hey, we're going to have some fun. We're going to rest. Um... Eugene Peterson's written quite a bit about the Sabbath, and I I recommend his work to you, Uh, as well as uh, A.J. Swoboda is an author who who was here in Portland. I'm not sure where he's at now, Um, but he's written a book called Subversive Sabbath, which deals with this specifically. Uh, Angie, my wife, has read his other book, The Dusty Ones, and she found it to be better. He deals with Sabbath, but he deals with a lot of other concepts, uh, and she thought that was a better book, so for whatever that's worth. Verse 4, Moses said to the whole Israelite community, This is what Yahweh has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing, who is willing, 
is to bring to Yahweh an offering of gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, fine linen, goat hair, ram skin dyed red, and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the lights, spices for the anointing oil and for fragrant incense, onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and the breastplate. These are for the, the priest's garb. All who are skilled among you are to come and make everything that Yahweh has commanded, the tabernacle with its tent and its coverings, clasps, frames, and crossbars, posts and braces, the ark with its poles and the atonement cover and the curtain that shields it, the table with its poles and all its articles and the bread of the presence, the lampstand that is for the light and the accessories and the lamp and the oil for the light, the altar of incense and its poles, the anointing oil and its fragrant incense, the curtain for the doorway to the entrance of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offerings with its bronze grating, its poles and its utensils, the bronze basin with its stand, the curtain and all of the courtyard with its posts and bases, and the curtain for the entrance to the courtyard, the tent pegs for the tabernacle, and all the courtyard and their ropes, the woven garments for ministering in the sanctuary, both sacred garments for Aaron the priest and garments for his sons when they serve as priest. Then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence, and everyone who was willing and whose heart was moved then came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting, for all its services, for the sacred garments. All who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold jewelry of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings, and ornaments, and they presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. And everyone who had blue, purple, and scarlet yarn or fine linen goat hair, ram skin dye red, or other durable leather brought them. Those presenting an offering of silver and bronze brought it as an offering to the Lord, and everyone who had acacia wood of any part for the work brought it. Every skilled woman spun her hands and brought what she had spun, blue, purple, and silver yarn or fine linen. And all the women who were willing and had the skill spun the goat hair. The leaders brought onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephods and breastplates. Then they brought spices and olive oil for the light and the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense and all the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord free will offerings for all the work that Yahweh uh, all the work that Yahweh through Moses had commanded them to do we've talked a bit about this before so again I don't want to go into detail but they were making the tent of meeting the tabernacle which was the um place of worship before the temple, and the temple was largely based around the design of the tabernacle. So, um, it was not on Moses or, or Aaron, his brother, the high priest, to do everything. It was a collective effort. That's still, to this day, what church is. It's a collective effort. Yeah, I preach on Sunday mornings because that's what I do, but everybody does what they can do. We have people who are so called to prayer and they, they really challenge me in prayer. Like, how do we get going more in that? And, and, you know, we have our, our trustees who just do all kinds of stuff in, um, getting things going on Sunday morning. And, um, Brandon's really, you know, kind of taken, you know, having never done sound before. And he's become a really good sound guy. I've been doing um, music in the church for decades. And, and, and it's been so cool to see how he's grown in it. And um, 
you know, we restarted kids church because, you know, we had all the COVID restrictions. And so then uh, we did a kids zone, which was our way of saying, how do we do something for the kids? But now as things are moving out uh, and changing, and so how do we restart our kids church? And we've seen the signups have been fantastic. All of these things are, are what I'm saying is that all of these things come together so that it's a collective effort. That includes the finances. Um, we, we exist and we operate off of a, a free will collection. Nobody is, is forced into doing this. Those who are, feel led do. I believe that every Christian should be generous. Every Christian should give. Every Christian should say, what, what's the first fruits of my resources and how can I use that as the Lord leads me? Now, I give the first 10%, and Angie and I is collectively what we, what we make in income. We give the first 10% to the church, and then we look for other opportunities to be generous. But, but I'll say this, be generous and give of your first fruits. And, and if you're like, well, you're just trying to get money for the church, then give to something else for a while and see if the Lord doesn't bless you. And if this is your church and you want to support the work that God is doing here as an act of worship, then, then feel free. Um, but to, to me, the bigger idea is that, that we recognize that everything we have is from the Lord. And that we're in this together. Verse 30, Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God and with wisdom and with understanding and with knowledge and with all kinds of skill to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones and to work in wood and to engage in all kinds of artistic crafts. And he has given both him and Hoyalab, the son of Ashamach of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. Meaning, it wasn't all on Moses. These other guys had skills that Moses didn't have, and so they had that work to do, but it wasn't all on them. They had the ability to teach others so that they could do the work as well. He has filled them with the skill to do all kinds of work as engravers, designers, embroiderers, and blue, purple, and silver yarn, and fine linen, and weavers, and all the other skilled workers and designers. So Belezalel Ahoyalab and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given skill and ability to know how to carry out all the work of constructing the sanctuary are to do the work just as the Lord had commanded. So there's, everyone has a skill. Everyone has something that God has given them an ability to do. And, and so you might say, well, am I, I'm good at building things. Am I called to, to build things for God? I don't know. Maybe. There's things that I can do that I don't think I'm called to do. I'm good at something, but I don't know that that's my unique calling. But you know what? I can do it. And so if in a pinch somebody says, hey, can you help with that? Yes, I can do that thing. Um, you know, this is an example. Uh, I, 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 I can play bass guitar. That's one of the things I can do. And when I was living and pastoring in the city of Manchester, England, a, a friend of mine from high school was in uh, Bible college in Hungary in Eastern Europe, but they were doing an outreach trip to London. And they, he said, Hey, we're putting this band together. We're going to do this outreach thing. We don't have a, a bass player though. I know you're in England. Can you come and play bass with us for a week? I said, yeah, I can do that. Was I called to live in the city of London and play bass guitar? No, that wasn't my calling, but it was something I could do. And so, yeah, I can help out, you know, um, I, I've had, you know, you get a call from a friend, Hey, we're doing this thing. Can you come help? Sure. I can do that. So you recognize there's things that I'm 
I can do and I can pitch in. And then there's things that are like my unique calling that I, for this time or this season or maybe my whole life I'm supposed to do. Again, it's a collective effort. Being part of the church is a collective effort. Verse 2, chapter 36. Then Moses summoned Belezalel and Hoyalab and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. And they received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring freewill offering morning after morning. So all the skilled workers who were doing the work on the sanctuary left what they were doing and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough to do the work the Lord commanded to be done. So then Moses gave an an order and sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary so that the people were restrained from bringing more because they had already had more than enough to do all that work. That's a crazy thought, by the way. Can you imagine a uh, ministry or a church saying, hey, don't give this month. We have more than enough than we need. If we were in that situation, I hope we would be in that, that, that case. Now, I'll just tell you, like Faith on Hill's never been a rich church. Um, and we are, we're, we're in a good place. You know, I'm not, we're, we're, there was a rough season a few years ago. I'm not gonna lie about that, but we're in a good place now. Um, but there is something where you'll hear, I'm just going to be honest, like you'll hear about churches that have money in the bank and there's nothing wrong with having some money in the bank. You should have a rainy day fund. You should have uh, in case the roof blows up fund. Yeah, that's totally fair and, and understandable. But at the same time, you know, there comes a point where it's like, Hey, we've, we've got enough. How can we do something different? Um, there, there is a, a group. I, I, they're not a. They're a five hundred one c three organization, but I hate to call them a ministry. Um, whatever the Lord does through them, praise the Lord. But there is a group called Gospel for Asia, and I used to give money to them, and I used to, as a pastor, tell other people to give money to them, and then I found out that they're not living in integrity in how they handle their money, and they have so much money. They have so many millions of dollars in bank accounts that if everyone who gave to them stopped giving, they could still operate for the next like five years without having to change anything. It wouldn't affect their bottom line. That's insane. That's how much money they have and how little they're doing with it. So don't give to them. (laughs) Um, by the way, I think that's, that's fair. You should say, if I'm going to give to a ministry, to a missions organization, to a church, you should be able to ask questions about how money is spent. I got no problem with that. Um, so if you have questions, you can ask them. <laughs> there we go. Verse 8. All those who were skilled among the workers uh, made the tabernacle with ten curtains of finely twisted linen and blue, purple and scarlet yarn with cherubim woven into them by expert hands for all the curtains were the same size, 28 cubits long and four cubits wide. They joined the five curtains together and did the same with the other five. They made loops of blue material along the edge and the end of the curtain with one set. The same was done to the end of the curtain on the other set. They also made 50 loops on one curtain and 50 loops on the end of a certain other uh, with the loops on each side with, uh, sorry, with the loops opposite each other. Then they made 50 gold clasps and used them to fasten the two sets of curtains together so that the tabernacle was a unit. 
If that's confusing to you, it is to me. But you know what? You can go Google image search and you can find, because there are people who are skilled in understanding that kind of thing, you can find out what this looks like. Verse 11, they made, image, uh, they made curtains of goat hair over the tent, over the tabernacle, 11 altogether. All 11 curtains were the same size, 30 cubits long and four cubits wide. They joined the five curtains into one set and the other six into another set. They made 50 loops along the edge of the end of certain in one set and also along the edge of the end of the curtain in another set. They made 50 bronze clasps to fasten the tent together as a unit. Then they made for the tent of covering a ram skin dyed red over the covering of the and over that covering of the other durable leather. Then they made upright frames of acacia wood for the tabernacle. Each frame was a tent, was 10 cubits long and a cubit and a half wide with two projections set parallel to each other. And they made all the frames of the tabernacle in this way. And they made 20 frames for the south end of the tabernacle and 40 frames, uh, 40 silver bases to go under them. Two bases for each frame under each projection. You know what this is? I don't know why they don't make it simpler, but it's basically these silver bases are where you stuck the tent pole. That's all they're saying. This is instructions on how to set up a tent. We got a new tent for camping last year and because uh, the boys had gotten bigger and it was getting cramped in our old tent. So we got a new tent and then you try to read the instructions and Ikea instructions are easier, I swear. And so, uh, you know, it was like, all right, we're going to set this up in our front yard and try to figure out how this all works. That's all they're saying. Uh, for the other side, the north side of the tabernacle, they made 20 frames and 40 silver bases, two under each frame. They made six frames for the far end, that is the west end of the tabernacle. Two frames were made for the corners of the tabernacle at the far end. At these two corners, the frames were double from the bottom all the way to the top and fitted into a single ring. Both were made alike. There were eight frames of 16 silver bases, two under each frame. They also made the crossbars of acacia wood, five for the frames on one side of the tabernacle, five for the other two on the other side, and five for the frames on the west at the far end of the tabernacle. Then they made a center crossbar so that it extended from the end to end in middle of the frame. Then they overlaid the frames with gold and made gold rings to hold the crossbars, and they also overlaid the crossbars with gold. That's to give it longevity, durability. Um, if you just make these wood frames, they will eventually need to be replaced, but if you cover them in metal, uh, then they'll last a long time. So that was the idea, was that these are being made for road wear. They also made the curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, a finely twisted linen with the cherubim woven into it by a skilled worker, and they made four posts of acacia wood for it, overlaid them with gold. They made gold hooks for them and cast their four silver bases. For the entrance to the tent, they made a curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and finely twisted linen, the work of an embroiderer, and they made five posts with hooks for them, and they overlaid the top of the posts and the bands with gold, and they made five bases of bronze. All right. We'll get into the ark next time, but I want to end by saying this, that the tabernacle was essentially, they had this um, curtains that were set up to make a wall. And so imagine that you have um, curtains set up on a frame and it encloses and it makes us a courtyard. Then within the courtyard is the tent of meeting. That's the holy place where only the priest could go. And then in that tent, there's a curtain that's the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was and only the high priest could go once a year on the day of atonement. And then in the courtyard, there is the altar where they sacrifice the animals and worship is done. 
It's like a portable version of the temple. To me, the big thing to remember is that that system of worship was always incomplete because they always had to go back year after year and make more sacrifices and more sacrifices. But Jesus Christ, his sacrifice was once and for all. When he died on the cross, no more sacrifices were needed. And the curtain that was the barrier between where the people could go and where only the high priest could go the Bible says that the curtain in the temple was torn top to bottom in two and the barrier between God and people was destroyed. And that is still true today. Well, we are at the end of our time here. So I want to say thank you for joining us for another episode of the 20 minute Bible study. Audio versions are available on Apple podcasts and Spotify. You just have to search faith on Hill. Video versions are available on our Facebook page, facebook.com backslash faithonhill. And on our website, you can go to online gatherings and you'll find audio versions there as well. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill. If you have any questions, you can email me, adam at faithonhill.com. You can follow us on Instagram at faithonhill. We'll see you again for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study.